The following audio is from Delta Church in Springfield, Illinois. Our purpose is to proclaim the gospel through the church to a world that needs Jesus Christ. We pray this sermon will aid and encourage your daily walk with Jesus. For more information about Delta, you can visit us online at deltachurch.net. Let's all stand for the reading of God's Word and uh, turn to the Gospel of John, chapter 14. And if you're using the uh, Black Pew Bibles, you can uh, turn to page 847 in that Bible. Looking at John, chapter 14, and verses 12 through 14. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. You may be seated. Well, we are wrapping up our little three-part sermon series, which is part of a two-part sermon series, if you want to put it in that language. Uh, You saw that post on Slack where I gave a little um, overarching uh, wrap-up of this idea of we took three weeks to look at the missionary need, focusing um, solely on prayer. And then we said, built on the foundation of the missionary need to be a missionary people, um, to everyday disciples who recognize that I'm called by Christ to be a missionary I have to go. I need. This isn't a want, but it's a, it's a need. I need to go as a man, as a woman, in prayer. This is then built on top of that foundation. Uh, this idea that we've been in for the past two weeks was the missionary mindset. Because of this need, what is the mindset that I have as I go? We talked about this idea from Matthew 9 of being compassionate laborers. That idea of Jesus, again, we focused on prayer, pray earnestly for laborers to be raised up and sent out into the harvest. And then last week, if you remember, we then turned to that idea that we need to go with eyes wide open, just as Jesus said immediately on the hills of pray for these things. He then looked at his disciples and said, you guys are going out, but as you go, know this, you're going out as like sheep among wolves. You need to be as shrewd as a serpent, innocent as a dove. And then remember what we talked about last week, all this idea of Um, persecution, hatred, betrayal, these things will come, but here's the encouragement. You don't have to fear any of this, right? That's just the mindset. So we go is the mindset. We go with eyes wide open is the mindset, but now what I want to do to button all this up, to put the bow on the package, as it were, of these past five weeks is to turn to a sermon that I'm titling this morning called Hell Quaking Prayer. Hell Quaking Prayer. How can we see hell quake when God's people button down, anchor in deep on this idea of what Jesus has just told us in John chapter 14, verses 12, 13, and 14. My argument is going to be this, is that the missionary mindset is empowered by the hell-quaking promise of answered prayer. Jesus has given us a promise in these verses, verses 12, 13, and 14. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. And what I'm going to argue here is that Jesus is giving this promise within a very specific context. 
This is the context of whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. Jesus is stitching together this idea of when you come to me and you pray in my name and you pray in such a way that the Father may be glorified in the Son as it relates to you being a people who go out doing the works that I did, you need to know this. I will hear those prayers and I will do what you ask as it relates to doing the work that I did. My hope is that this lands on us with encouragement this morning, because this is what we've been talking about. Not only what does it look like for us to have the missionary mindset in our individual spheres of lives, but what does this look like to have the mindset collectively saying, we're going to go, we're asking people to come and get training, we're going to go out, we're thinking through what does it look like to look at our local geographic neighborhood, what does it look like to think through how we can shepherd long-term school, apartments, houses, real men, real women who are created in the image of God with eternal souls, and the Lord work is long, the work is laborious, right? Farming is labor, soul farming, as it were, is labor, it's work. And the temptation can be, man, like where will the power come from to do this in a sustained, persevering, long-term sort of way? Jesus is giving us two truths this morning where the power comes from. It's going to come from the fact that he's left and gone back to the Father and the Holy Spirit has come and it comes from the fact that when we pray in his name, asking him anything, what will he do? He will do it. That's fuel for my soul and my hope is that it's fuel for your soul as well. So let's pause, let's pray, let's ask for the Holy Spirit to help me to make my words clear, to help us hear the words of Christ this morning, and then we'll dive into our text this morning, okay? Father, we are here to see you glorified. It's true, the, 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 the words of Jesus this morning that we just read, we are praying in such a way that you, Father, would be glorified in the Son, not only in how we've prayed and how we will pray here soon, but in the midst of right now, even through the preaching of the words of Jesus. Father, it is easy to be distracted. Many of us came here distracted this morning. We just lived enough life over the past six days and 22 hours since we've last gathered To say, I've got no burdens. To say, my mind isn't being pulled in a thousand directions. The weights and the entanglements of the world, they seem close and they seem tight. And right now, the enemy finds no further delight than in choking out the seed of the word landing in the soil of our heart. So I ask, Father, that you would clear our hearts, clear our minds. Not in the sense that you don't care about these things, but just in the immediate moment right now, would you, as it were, lift our eyes to see you, to behold you. Holy Spirit, your grand desire is to magnify the Lord Jesus Christ, who is worthy to be magnified as the name above all names. We're asking, Holy Spirit, would you use me to articulate the words of Christ clearly, to feed our souls, 
And I'm asking, Holy Spirit, that you would cause our hearts, cause our minds to see Jesus, to understand these words so that we would truly be changed as we go forward from this place, banking on the hell-quaking promise of answered prayer that we find in the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus, it's in your name I pray. Amen. Well, we are diving right into the midst of a conversation. What do I mean by this? To dive into these three verses in John 14, what you need to know is that the Apostle John is recording one of the more extended conversations of Jesus, what is typically referred to as the upper room discourse. This is hours before Jesus goes to the cross, like literally hours. Jesus, at this point in John's gospel, is standing in the shadow of the cross. In a few hours, he's going to be crucified. And what we find Jesus doing is he's loving his disciples all the way to the end. He's caring for them right now. He's telling them truths. I have to depart. I have to leave. I'm going back to the Father. I want you guys to know these things. And if you remember your Gospels well, the beginning of John 14, it begins with the disciples being deeply troubled and extremely sorrowful because they're listening to Jesus say, I'm departing from you. And so as the good shepherd celebrates the Passover with his disciples, what we see is that Jesus, the good shepherd, turns this upper room Passover celebration into a time of soul care, really. He begins to shepherd these disciples. Jesus has much to say to these disciples concerning the mustness of his departure. He must depart. But also, you find Jesus saying, talking to them of the great comfort and actually the great benefits that will come as a result of him going to the Father. In other words, if he does not go, there are certain benefits, certain encouragements that will not come. His going is actually going to usher in something that they need and something that will benefit them, something that will encourage them. So Jesus continues in John 14, 15, 16, 17. He speaks over and over again with the language of promise. I'm promising you these things will happen as a result of me going to the Father. Jesus reveals one of these comforting benefits in our verses this morning. He reveals one of these comforting benefits in verses 12, 13, and 14, specifically the comfort, the benefit the hell-quaking promise of answered prayer. The promise is staggering if you just read it and let it hit you and not let it roll off you like you've, we so often can do because we've read the Gospels a lot. But just imagine being in the upper room. You have no Bible as a reference. Jesus is in clear and plain speak saying to the 12, I am leaving you. You've been with Jesus for three years. You've walked with Jesus for three years. You've seen Jesus speak the words of the Father. You've seen Jesus do the works of the Father. You've seen miracle upon miracle. You've seen Jesus do what the Savior alone can do over and over and over and over and over. It's encouraging. He's near. We have empowered. We draw strength from the fact that he is near. Then all of a sudden he looks at you and says, actually, 
not for the first time at this stage in the game, but he doubles down and says, listen, I know I've told you this before, but you need to know I am departing. The way that would land on our hearts is the way that it landed on their hearts. Extremely sorrowful, extremely troubled. They don't like the fact that their friend is leaving them. But then Jesus waylays them with a staggering promise. And this is only one of many promises in John 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17. But he waylays them with this promise. Whoever believes in me. This isn't mental assent. This is genuine saving faith. If you are trusting in me as your sole source of salvation, you're going to do even greater works than I did. And oh, by the way, whatever you ask in my name in prayer, I will do it for you. Imagine hearing that staggering promise as a result of him saying, this is going to be true because I am departing from you and going back to the Father. You would just be washed with a series of emotions. Your mind would be struggling to make sense of these things. And so that's why we turn to these verses It's good for us to understand the promises that Jesus is making and the context in which these promises reside. So when we look at these verses in the span of 12, 13, and 14, we can learn three truths. And the first truth is this. I am called to do the works that Jesus did. I am called. If I'm a believer, if I'm a genuine born again, this is just John language, If I am one who has had the gift of eternal life attributed and credited to my account, not because I earned it, not because I deserved it, but because I'm a genuine, in faith, trusting in Jesus as my only hope of salvation, Jesus is going to say, I have called you to go then and do the works that I did. You see this at the beginning of verse 12. Look at what Jesus says there. Truly, 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 I say to you, whoever believes in me, will also do the works that I do. By saying this truly, truly, Jesus didn't have a stuttering problem. This is a very Jesus kind of way of saying, I need you to pay attention. It's an invitation for us to perk up, to grasp that the words that are coming out of Jesus' mouth in this moment are extremely important. He is about to deliver a staggering promise, and we must know who this promise is for. Is this a promise for anybody, for everybody? If you just go around launching words in the heavens, slap in Jesus' name on the end of it, do we have the promise that he will do whatever we ask? Or is Jesus steering this promise specifically toward certain people? And the answer is yes, he's steering this promise toward certain people. It's a promise given to who? Whoever believes in me. That's who he's talking to right now. Whoever believes in me and those people who believe in me that go and do the works that I do. Notice how Jesus makes these two truths, whoever believes in me and doing the work that I do, he makes them inseparable from one another. Do you see that there? The two are inseparable. For whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. To be a follower of Christ is to do the works of Christ. To be a 
One who says, I'm believing in Jesus as my only hope of salvation. He alone has the power to save me. Jesus says that's good. And the evidence of the fact that you are a genuine believer in me means you will be one who goes and does what I did. The words that I spoke of the Father, the works of the Father that I did, these will be evident in your life just like they were in my life. So Jesus is saying, this is who I'm talking to. It's those who believe in me. Not only the genuine believers in the upper room on that Passover night, but also all believers who would come after them. Believers here this morning gathered even in our little local Jesus family. You see, if you are a born-again believer trusting in Jesus Christ alone for your salvation, then your salvation in Him means that you will also do the works like Him. That's what we've been talking about for the past five weeks. Notice how this thought on the lips of Jesus in that upper room celebrating the Passover that night with His disciples, notice how this very much falls in line with what we saw two weeks ago in Matthew chapter 9. Remember what we saw two weeks ago, that whole compassionate laborers idea. Jesus in Matthew 9 was modeling the work of compassionate shepherding. Remember this. Remember he was going around villages, places, all people, shepherding them, caring for them, preaching to them of the kingdom of God, the good news of the gospel of God. He was doing the works of healing and things like this. Matthew told us a couple weeks ago that when Jesus was going around to all these villages, to all these towns, to all these places, he repeatedly was seeing harassed and helpless sinners as the shepherdless sheep they were. And Jesus went about that work of proclaiming the kingdom, healing every disease, healing every affliction. In other words, Jesus went about doing this, preaching the words of the Father, and accomplishing the works of the Father. Because if we ask the question, when Jesus says, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, what are the works that Jesus is talking about? I think in a simple way we can say this. The works of Jesus were to go around proclaiming the words of the Father, the gospel, proclaiming the good news that sinners can be redeemed, sinners can have eternal life, sinners can be pulled into the kingdom, they can be transferred out of Satan's dark kingdom, transferred into the kingdom of the beloved Son. They can go from death to life, they can go from darkness to light, they can go from blindness to sight. These are the words of Jesus, which are the words of the Father, because he's doing the works of the Father, the words and the works. This little micro snapshot of Matthew 9 is this idea of what we see Jesus calling us to when he says, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. But then remember, as Jesus modeled for the 12 in Matthew 9, the words and the works that he was doing, he then turned right to the disciples and said what? I want you to pray I want you to pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest, to the Father, to send out laborers into this harvest. And what did they quickly discover? We are the answer to our own prayer. Remember that. In other words, you guys are my followers. And if I'm doing this and you're following me, then you're going to go do what I'm doing. That's just a simple connection there. This idea is this. Jesus was connecting the dots that whoever believes in me in Matthew 9 will also do the works that I do. Here's a truth. Followership of Jesus is imitation of Jesus. 
to follow Jesus, to believe in him. Jesus says, you're also going to go and do what I, what I do. Say what I say. Because as we saw last week, a disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. We are called to do the works that Jesus did. But here comes the staggering promise. Here comes the staggering promise. As one who believes in Jesus, I am guaranteed to do greater works than Jesus. Now that's mind-boggling. To hear Jesus say, I went about words of the Father, works of the Father. This was the work that I was doing. Now you're going to go and do these very things, but somehow they are going to be greater. Look again at verse 12. Notice how Jesus carries this thought forward. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do and and greater works than these will he do because I am going to the Father. It's that phrase there at the very end. Because I am going to the Father, this is the key to understanding the greater works that believers will do. In John's gospel, oftentimes when Jesus says something along these lines, I'm going to the Father, I'm returning to the Father, I'm I'm, I'm going to go and do this, it's a reference in John's gospel to the death of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus, the ascension of Jesus, like the culminating work of Jesus being his death, burial, resurrection, ascension, this is packed into the language that John is talking about when he says, I'm going to the Father. So remember, at this point in John's gospel, Jesus is fully absorbed. He's he's right there at the foot of the cross. The shadow of the cross is fully enveloped around him. And while the disciples are troubled at hearing these things, they're sorrowful at all this departure language that Jesus keeps laying on them, what they are about to learn is that it is actually better for them that Jesus does depart and goes back to the Father. The question is why? Why is it better for the twelve and any subsequent disciple after them that Jesus did actually depart and go to the Father? It's because of this. It's because in his death, in the death of Jesus, his death was to be a breaking down of the power of sin. His resurrection was to be the power that secured death's defeat. And what they are moments, literally moments away from learning, is that by his ascension, the ascension of Jesus is going to usher in the long-promised era, long foretold by the prophets, where the Holy Spirit would come and actually dwell with believers and dwell in believers. So he's saying what you need to know is that you're going to be able to do greater works. You're doing my works. You're not doing different works. You're using the words of the Father. You're proclaiming the kingdom. You're going forward doing the works of the Father, but there's going to be a measure in which they are greater, and we'll explain this here in a minute, what we mean by greater, but you're going to be able to do it because I'm actually going to the Father, and by my going to the Father, the power of the Spirit is actually going to come and live in you and dwell in you. That is how you're going to be able to go forward doing the greater work. So when we go in our individual areas of our lives, when we begin to go out prayer walking, when we begin to go out knocking, when we begin to go out shepherding souls of real men and real women in the long term, we don't go powerless. We go fully equipped by the power of the Holy Spirit dwelling in us for those of us who are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. That is encouraging. Amen? 
You don't go by yourself. Jesus isn't slapping you on the back and say, man, I was here and some people got a little bit of the privilege because as I went out, they got to see me and I granted them a little bit of power here and there and that kind of thing. But there might be a measure, I don't know, but there might be a measure that the 12 are getting a little freaked out because they're saying, man, look, we had power to do what Jesus did when Jesus was near. Are we going to have that same power if Jesus leaves? And Jesus says, yes. And it's going to be a little bit better. It won't just be me standing near you. The Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, is going to live in you, dwell in you. That's where power for greater works is going to come. Thus, it is to your advantage. He literally says this in John 16. It is to your advantage that I go away, says Jesus, because my departure, with my departure, actually comes an arrival that will bestow new power to do the greater works. Greater how? It's not greater meaning more spectacular. No one's going to out-spectacular Jesus in his works. It's not more powerful. It's not more supernatural, but it's going to be greater in this idea of extent, greater in this idea of scope. Just think about it. Jesus ministered in one place at a time. He was in this village, then he left, and then he was in this village, then he left, and then he was in this place, in this house. As a result, Jesus ministered to a limited number of people. But his disciples would take the gospel to the ends of the earth. The disciples are going to see numerous salvations as they go forward preaching the word of God, doing the works of God, empowered by the Spirit of God. And the idea to recognize is this. It's still Jesus who's doing it through them. So they're not doing greater works as Jesus had his little silo of stuff and then the 12 and every disciple beyond us where they're doing other stuff. No, Jesus was doing these great works over here. And Jesus says, you're going to go forward doing exactly what I did. And what you need to know is it's still me empowering you to go and do it. But there's this greater extent, this greater scope that is taking place as the 12 and any disciple beyond go empowered by the Holy Spirit. But notice that as Jesus lays this staggering promise on them, whoever believes in me will do the works that I did. Promise staggering, promise number one. They're going to be greater. Because I'm leaving, and my leaving means you're empowering. Empowering by the Spirit of God. Notice that Jesus continues. And that's not the only reason why an everyday disciple will do greater works. It's not only the guarantee to do greater works because of Jesus' departure to the Father, but it's also the guarantee to do greater works because you, me, we have the hell-quaking promise of answered prayer. You see what he's saying here? You will do greater works. You will be a part of my works advancing. If you go and read the beginning of Acts chapter 1, Luke carries over his idea from the book of Luke, the gospel of Luke. He's talking to the guy Theophilus. He's like, let me continue to tell you how the works of Jesus began to carry on. Well, the book of Acts, Jesus is ascended. 
How is Jesus continuing to do his works if he's not here on earth to do his works? He's doing his works. His works continue through spirit-empowered men and women who are trusting in Christ alone for salvation. And what Jesus is saying is, I'm going to empower you to do those greater works. I'm going to the Father. And what you need to know is this. I want you to be encouraged. I want you to be empowered. You have the hell-quaking promise of answered prayer. And that's why you're going to be able to do greater works. Look at what Jesus says there starting in verse 13. Whatever you ask in my name. Now these verses have been phenomenally abused. Many of us are even thinking right now, man, like I've asked Jesus for a lot of things in his name and I ain't got a lot of things. But could it be because we were trying to appropriate the promise apart from the context? This promise has a very specific context. The context of disciples doing the works of Jesus. That Jesus says, if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. So that's why we have to think here. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. In the original language, there is a word that links the thoughts of verse 12 with the thoughts of verse 13. It's the word and. What this means is that there is an intimate, there's an extremely tight relationship between doing the works that Jesus did, verse 12, and what he says about answered prayer when he says, if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. In other words, the promise of answered prayer has a context, and that context here in John 14, verses 12, 13, and 14, is the context of doing the works that Jesus did. So on one hand, a believer's ability to do these promised greater works is because I am going to the Father, says Jesus, and what you need to know is this. On the other hand, the ability to do these greater works is because whatever you ask in my name as it relates to you being a believer, doing the works that I did, what you need to know is when I hear those kinds of prayers, I will do that. I will answer those kinds of prayers. Man, that is fuel, y'all. Do you grasp what Jesus is saying here? Jesus is saying that we can go out doing the works that he did, banking on the promise of answered prayer, that when we go doing what he did, words of the Father, works of the Father, in the fields that are around us, Jesus says, you pray for something in my name, to the glory of the Father, I will do it. We don't go alone. We don't go powerless we go empowered by christ in us and christ hearing us speaking to the christ who can do what we ask in his name notice this is the double blessing that sustains the missionary mindset we can go and do the works that jesus did because of christ's power in us the spirit of christ himself and because of Christ's promise of answered prayer. So whoever wants to appropriate this promise of answered prayer will pray in Jesus' name, he says, will pray in a way that the Father may be glorified in the Son and pray in a way that is connected to the works of Jesus. So what does it mean to pray in Jesus' name? It means we will pray in such a way where we are reminded of who I am in Christ 
And to pray in Jesus' name means we pray in such a way where it checks my request. What do I mean by this? When you pray in Jesus' name, man, no, it took me so long to like figure this out because you grow up in church, you hear people just saying things, and it sounds sort of like an abracadabra that you just throw on the end of some words that you launch in the ceilings because if you don't throw the abracadabra, the prayer doesn't get beyond the ceiling. But if you need that little extra like prayer juice to shoot it beyond and get into the heavens, you got to like, in Jesus' name, and like, right, it just throws it up on the heavens and Jesus hears it. Like it's a little magic incantation that you throw on the end of some words. That's not what the Bible is talking about. To pray in Jesus' name is to pray in such a way where it reminds me, it sets my heart and my mind in check of who I am. So this is what's going on. What we know is this, is that the Father and the Son have an intimate relationship. What we know is the Father loves the Son, Son loves the Father. Father delights to hear the Son, the Son delights to talk to the Father. They both talk, they both hear mutual love, mutual affection. And then what we also know from the Scriptures is for anyone who repents of their sin, believes in Christ, what are we? We're not only justified, but then we're adopted into the family of God. We now have an older brother, and his name is Jesus. We're now co-heirs with Jesus. His inheritance is now our inheritance. So when we pray in Jesus' name, I'm reminding myself, man, I am in the family. I have been adopted. I have been redeemed. I have been saved. I have been drawn from Satan's dark kingdom. I have been transplanted into the kingdom of the beloved son. And so when I pray to the father, what I receive is the same kind of, of listening ear that the son gets, the same kind of love and affection and compassionate yearning to hear my words, just like the son has, that is now mine. Praying in Jesus' name reminds me of these things. His blessings are my blessings. His inheritance is my inheritance. His riches are my riches. And just as he talks, I can talk. And just as he's heard, I'm heard. That's what praying in Jesus' name reminds us. So praying in Jesus' name reminds me of who I am, but it also checks my request because what that then means is as I'm praying to the Father in Jesus' name, it's as if I'm praying with the mouth of Christ himself. Like the way the Father is hearing me is as, as if he were hearing Christ pray these things. And so now all of a sudden I'm going to check myself because I need to ask the old question, what would Jesus do? Instead of WWJD, it's WWJP. What would Jesus pray? So praying in Jesus' name just gives me that little, that little step where I ask, would Jesus pray this prayer that I'm praying right now? A little short on cash, the bank on corner of 5th and Main. Lord Jesus, would you help me craft a phenomenal scheme to go and rob that bank so I can get some more money in Jesus' name? I don't know that Jesus would probably pray that prayer. And my coworker, I mean, I'd really love to see him get some egg on his face. Lord Jesus, will you help me exact revenge on my, my wicked coworker in Jesus' name? Funny examples to prove the point. To pray in Jesus' name should cause us to go, okay, if it is true, I'm in Christ, and it's true that I'm in the family, and if it's true the Father is hearing me as though he were hearing Christ himself, it should just cause us to pause and think, is this request something that Jesus would pray? Not to the point of paralysis by analysis and all these sorts of things, but it's just learning to live and breathe in that beautiful, phenomenal, relational atmosphere that genuine, born-again believers are privileged to live in and lean into, okay? Pray in Jesus' name. 
It means that we will adopt the same attitude as Jesus, praying prayers that have the Father's glory in mind. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. All of us have been in places where if a little bit of examination would look, when we launched this prayer to the Father, what we could recognize is that I'm not quite sure I had the Father's glory in mind when I prayed this. But Jesus always had the Father's glory in mind when he prayed. And the invitation is to come. And as we hide ourselves in our in Christness, his mindset is just our mindset. Man, I want the Father to be glorified. It's why Jesus taught us what we learned in the school of prayer. Remember this? Teach us to pray. I'll show you how to pray. Lesson one. Our Father in heaven, what? Hallowed be your name. Holy be your name. Glory be to your name. So Jesus is teaching us what he does when he prays in that moment. And now he's just buttoning down, he's doubling down on that very idea at the end of his ministry with the 12. And then my point is this, listen, when we take these truths, whatever you ask in my name, whatever you ask so that the Father may be glorified in the Son, and we take these truths and apply them in the context of how we will do the greater works as we go about doing the works that Jesus did, Jesus is saying it is prayer like this. This particular kind of prayer, which has the promise of being answered. And all God's people collapsed with a great sigh of relief. Because we don't go in our own strength. We don't go in our own power. Listen, my point is this. Hell quakes when this promise of answered prayer concretizes in the missionary mindset. Hell quakes. Demons tremble. Satan's schemes begin to crack and fall apart when this kind of promise given by Jesus of answered prayer as men and women go and do the works that Christ did concretizes into the missionary mindset. When you go with this mindset of individual and collectively, I am going, doing the works of Jesus. I'm doing what he called me to do. I'm banking on the power of Christ in me. I'm banking on the fact that Jesus said when I pray in his name for the Father's glory, as we go specifically doing the works, he will hear and he will answer he will do it for the father's glory when we play, pray in Jesus's name for more compassionate laborers to be raised up guess what hell quakes because Jesus is going to do it he's going to answer that prayer for the father's glory when we pray in Jesus's name for a mighty harvest of salvation to be reaped into his kingdom hell quakes because hell knows Jesus will hear this and he will do it For the Father's glory when we make our request in Jesus' name for the Holy Spirit to speed forward and convict women and convict men of sin and righteousness and judgment. When we beg for the Holy Spirit to cause sinners to be born again. 
when we ask the Lord of the harvest to open our own eyes to the fields around us, when we begin to intercede on behalf of those far from God, asking God to draw them unto salvation, when we begin to petition Christ with persistent prayer for God's gospel to spread, for Satan's dark kingdom to diminish, for revival to break out, for spiritual awakening to come, hell quakes because hell knows Jesus is going to do it. And so that's why we go. We can get up and we can go with extreme joy, extreme encouragement, extreme comfort, knowing that the one who's doing it all is Christ. And we just get to lean on him as we go. And so we can look around in our little individual fields. We can look at our neighbors. We can look to our coworkers. We can look to our family and look to our friends and remind ourselves the work of the field labor is around me. Jesus has said, if I believe in him, the result of my life is I will do the works that he did, the field harvesting, soul harvesting labor that he did in these fields. And I can go with the promise that Holy Spirit's empowering me, Spirit of Christ, and when I bump up into my need, and as you will know, if you've ever tried to go out with the harvesting missionary kind of mindset, what do you come to realize very quickly? Oh no, I need the help of Jesus right now. What promise do you have in that moment? Ooh-wee, I sure hope my prayer crests the ceiling and punches into the heavens. I sure hope I'm living right. I sure hope I'm doing these things. Now Jesus says, listen, if you're going about doing these works and you pray in my name for the Father's glory, I'm going to hear it and I'm going to do it. Whew, pressure's off. Pressure's off. It's not you. It's all Christ. Pressure's off. This is the invitation of Jesus. The hell-quaking promise of prayer is the invitation to lean into the fact that the pressure is off. And we just get the sheer and absolute joy and privilege just to go and do the works that Jesus did going out into the labor. The labor of the harvest. Friends, this is the missionary mindset that I am pleading with the Father to give us pleading for it to give it to me, and the overflow is I'm pleading for the Father to give it to us. So here's what we're going to do. Here's my proposal. How can we respond? How can we wind this thing up? I'm going to propose that we make hell quake in prayer right now. You want to do a little hell quaking prayer? All God's people said, amen. Do it. Do what we just did a little while ago. Turn around into your circles and beg the Holy Spirit, beg the Father, relate it to the work of going out into the field. Ask the Father, Lord, as we go out into our collective fields, as we go out into our individual fields, we're banking on this promise. You hear it and you delight to do it. We're asking you again to open eyes. We're asking you again to go before us into the fields, into the harvest. We're asking you to do a work that only you can do. I'm asking the Father to do this in my own life. And my proposal is that we make hell quake together as a Jesus family this morning by asking the Father to do it right now. So you ain't going to be waiting on me. You all can turn around and start doing this, okay? And then as we go, go at it a little bit, what we'll do is we'll, uh, I'll wrap it up in prayer, and then we'll sing a song, okay? So I encourage you to do this right now.
you're not sure what to pray for, keep praying. But if you're not sure what to pray for, just ask that Jesus would reap a mighty harvest of salvation. You can ask that prayer. appropriate to beg for the Holy Spirit to cause sinners to be born again, you can pray that prayer. It's going to be a time of intercession. Intercede on those who are far from God. Beg God to draw them near in salvation in Christ alone. Jesus, thank you for your great and precious promises. Thank you for loving us and giving us specifically this promise of when we go doing your works, as we go spreading your word, the gospel word of repentance and faith in Christ alone. We go empowered by the Spirit because you departed to the Father and we go with the hell-quaking promise of answered prayer. Lord, hear our petitions. We are praying for God's gospel to spread. We're praying for Satan's dark kingdom to diminish. We are praying for revival to break out among the people of God. We're praying for a spiritual awakening to come to those far from God. Lord, we cling to the promise that hell quakes right now and we pray these prayers by faith because the promise of Christ is when we pray and ask for anything in line with these things. Jesus will do it. Lord, embolden us to go this week. We have ample opportunity in the next six days and 22 hours to go as laborers into the fields ripe with harvest around us. Give us eyes to see. Give us hearts that are compassionate. Give us a shepherding mindset so that we might go doing the works that Jesus did and then get to lean into and enjoy the greaterness of these works as we experience the power of the Holy Spirit in us and the goodness of the promises of answered prayer. King Jesus, we pray these things in your name. Amen.